Uh, we're going to do what we do each Sunday now, look at a passage of God's Word. Um, we've shifted our service a bit, so prayer time will come now after uh, our message this morning to kind of uh, be as a response to what we're learning about today. So if you have a Bible with you, if you will turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 13, beginning at verse 17. This is where we'll camp for a little while today. So story of uh, people of Israel kind of now just at the end part, uh, being released from Egypt. And here we are, uh, Pharaoh has finally let them go. Chapter 13, beginning at verse 17. If you found that, would you stand together with me for the reading of God's word? Here we read this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zaphon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people of Israel had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took with him, uh, and made ready his chariot and took his army with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped by the sea, by Pihahirath, in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were mar marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not, is not this what we said to you, uh, to leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. That's God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us quickly, and then we'll dive into this together. Spirit of God, I ask now that you would come and illumine our eyes and our hearts and our minds as we come to your word. We believe this is a living word. This is a word that's not just some historical document. You have inspired these words to speak to us through all generations, including our own. 
And I ask that your purpose for sending out this word would be accomplished now in each one of us today as we come to this word. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Well, I want you to imagine with me a scenario for a moment. You are having a conversation with a friend. Maybe you've just come back from winter break, kind of catching up on how things are going, and your friend says to you, hey, I finally took your advice, and I saw uh, the Lord of the Rings film the other night. And you're kind of thrown off a little bit because they talk about the Lord of the Rings film and not films, but you know, you're not, you don't want to be that person, so you just like play along. You're like, what'd you think? What'd you think of it? And then they tell you, well, I don't know. I don't know what everyone makes such a big deal about it. I mean, from what I saw, it, it was actually pretty boring. I just shut it off after a few minutes. <laughs> and now you're kind of even more thrown off, not to mention confused. And you ask them, like, how in the world anyone could see Lord of the Rings as boring? Only to have them tell you, okay, well, listen, from what I saw, I mean, all it is, it's a bunch of, like, short, pointy-eared guys. They're gathering around a bed of another short, pointy-eared guy who seems to be sick. And then... All of them, including some taller guys with pointy ears and a really tall old guy, they all start laughing about something. I don't know what everyone thought was so funny. And then the taller guys with the pointy ears and the old guy, they get on a boat with that short one with the pointy ears who was in bed sick, and then they sail away, and everyone's just standing on the beach crying. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite boring, actually. I mean, seriously, I don't know why everyone makes such a big deal about Lord of the Rings. It's, it's not great writing, honestly. Now, assuming that you were even able to recover from the offensiveness of what this person had just said to you, like, how would you respond to that? <laughs> what do you even say to that? I mean, and just so we're all on the same page here, like if you've, like you've never seen the films before, what this person just described here is literally like the last 15 minutes of the third film in a trilogy. Each film, like, 17 hours long with just, like, moments of, like, happiness a uh, humor, romance are just like brief moments that feel like coming up for air and an otherwise like onslaught of like action and intensity. So this is why this is so surprising. Like for some who maybe take Lord of the Rings stuff a little too seriously, they'd probably want to grab this friend by the lapels of their jacket and be like, first of all, the short one with the pointy ears, his name is Frodo. Say his name with me. It's Frodo. Others, you know, you know, we'd probably just like shake our head and walk away because it's like it's too much to explain. There's, there's just no time to, to go through it all. Regardless, what anyone who had seen any of these films before would likely want to say to that friend is at least is you, you're only seeing it that way because you only watched the very end of the third movie in a trilogy, bro. That's the only reason you're seeing it that way. That's like saying like, a Christmas Carol is about an old guy who orders Uber Eats out of his window. I mean, yeah, that happens in the story, but like that doesn't capture the entirety of what a Christmas Carol is about. Like that's that's the end of a story, and you need to know everything that's happened before then in order to understand why Ebenezer Scrooge ordering a Christmas turkey out his window. Why that's such a big deal? Why? Well, because whatever the story is, whatever story we're talking about, you need to know where you're at in the story in order to be able to properly process whatever it is that's presently in front of you, right? Like if I'm at the end of a story, I know, okay, if I'm, this is the end of the story, I need to look back here, I need to look backwards at everything that's already happened in order to understand what I'm looking at here. If I'm right at the beginning of a story, I know there's all kinds of information I don't know yet. 
Uh, I need more time. I need to be patient in order to understand this stuff I'm reading here. It'll be explained later. Uh, and if I'm in the middle of a story, if I've just opened up to the middle of the book, I'm probably going to need to do some combination of both, right? And I bring that up as we come to this really iconic scene from Israel's history that we just read from our passage this morning, because what's interesting to see here is that when you look at this, the people of Israel, in a way, they're kind of in all three of those places at the same time, aren't they? They're at the end of a story. They've just come out of slavery in Egypt. They're at the beginning of another story, this crossing of the Red Sea, which is actually a terrifying story until it isn't anymore. And then they're also right in the middle of a story. Everything that takes place from their escape from slavery in Egypt until they enter into the promised land. This is just like the middle of the story taking place. They're, they're doing all these things at once, although, now here's the key, their experience of place, like where it is that they see themselves in the story at this time is almost entirely one of two things. They see themselves as being at the end of a hard story or the beginning of a terrifying story. That's the way they see themselves in this story. Almost no one, except Moses, sees themselves as being in the middle of a story. He's the only one that seems to really get that. But why this matters for us here, starting out 2023, this Sunday morning of January 1st, when you take this iconic story from the history of Israel and lay it like kind of like a, an overlay over your life and mine, what you see is that as we embark here on day one, of a brand new year, you likely find yourself in at least one of those three places as well. You likely see yourself at one of those places in this story. You see yourself at the end of a story, the beginning of a new story, or somewhere in the middle. So maybe you see yourself at the end of a story, and like Israel, you see yourself as having escaped a difficult past. You're at the end of that story. So maybe 2022 was just a nightmare of a year. 2023 feels like, hey, finally I'm free of that. Maybe you went through some like challenging family situation, homework, school, whatever it is, and now you're coming into this new year and it feels like, finally, I'm free of that difficult, challenging situation. Maybe you see yourself, 2023 is the start of a new story. It's the beginning of a new thing, but it feels like you're facing an impossible future, just like the people of Israel were, right? Maybe 2023 is beginning with a tremendous amount of fear, and anxiety for you as, like the people of Israel, you're looking at everything ahead of you, and it feels like you're just blocked in on every side with no way of escape. Or maybe you understand yourself in the middle of the story. You're somewhere in the middle of your story, which I'm going to say this morning is the place that every single one of us are. Yes, we have experiences of beginning and end, but every single one of us are in the middle of the story, but it's the place that almost no one sees themselves as being in. But as I said earlier, knowing your place in the story, unlike your friend there with the misguided conclusions about the Lord of the Rings film he saw, uh, knowing your place in the story is an essential thing that enables you to properly process your present circumstances, like whatever it is you're seeing in front of you at any given moment. So, as you think about yourself right now, starting into 2023, where do you see yourself in this story? The end? The beginning? The middle? Well, let's try to figure it out together. Let's, let's look at this passage together. If you've closed your Bible, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again with me to this passage, Exodus 13, starting at verse 17 there. Follow along with me 
as we seek to rightly understand our place in the story in order that we might be able to properly process whatever circumstances we might face in the coming year. Okay, so let's look first of all at the end of the story. Maybe you see yourself at the end of a story and having escaped a difficult past, just like people of Israel. You see yourself as, I'm finally free of 2022. Thank you, Lord. If, if you're not at all familiar with this foundational story from Israel's history of God's people Israel here and how this relates to what we're talking about very quickly. After 430 years of being enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh, God sends his servant Moses to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt into the land that he promised Abraham generations before. Uh, as you can probably imagine, uh, Pharaoh wasn't super excited about just letting his entire slave labor force go, so he resisted that. Uh, and God sends a series of plagues uh, in order to both demonstrate his sovereign power over the gods of Egypt, as well as to, let's just say, strongly encourage Pharaoh and the Egyptians to let them go anyways. Um, that happens after, finally, after the tenth and final plague, where God passes over the homes of the people of Israel who had marked their doorposts with the lamb's blood, whereas the firstborn of all Egypt is put to death, Pharaoh finally relents and lets the people go away with actually great plunder from the Egyptians. So look now at verse 17 of chapter 13. People are heading out as they pack up and begin this mass exodus out of Egypt. It's easy to see, now understanding all that backstory, why many of them saw themselves here as being at the end of a difficult story. We're at the end of that. That was the slavery part of the story. We're at the end of that. It's over, and we're done. And they absolutely were at the end to some degree, um, not to mention the fact that that pillar of cloud and fire that we read about in verse 21 and 22 there, this, this tangible, visible presence of God with them going ahead of them everywhere they went, must have really felt like, man, we've never had God's presence with us like now. We, we really are at a new place. That part is done. That story is over, and now God is leading us into this new thing. It's easy to see why they could do that. Verse 8 of chapter 14 there says, look, they were going out defiantly. So clearly, they're at the end of that story, right? However, as we keep reading, what we see very quickly is, yeah, not quite. Not quite at the end of the story, as we see Pharaoh wants to take one last shot at trying to get his people back again. And no, it's not, it's not totally strange that they would have saw themselves as being at the end of a difficult story. I mean, Given everything that they'd endured over these last 430 years, not to mention the last few years in particular, if you know these chapters of Exodus here, I mean, now it looks like the end of the story. The chains are off. Nobody's standing over them with a whip anymore. And as they start trying to head out of Egypt, nobody's stopping them. Nobody's like, no, you can't go. They just, they're, they're, they're done. So very clearly, this is the end of the story, right? And yet... The, the frustrating thing about this, for me anyways, is that if they really thought this was the end of the story, they would have looked backwards. Because remember, that's what I said. When you're at the end of the story, you know you're at the end, you need to look backwards to understand what's in front of you. If they had truly done that, what they would have seen is that literally every single time Pharaoh had agreed to let the people of Israel go, he changed his mind. Every single time that he had changed his mind. And, and this is something that I know I ranted about a number of years ago when I preached this same passage. We were doing a series through the book of Exodus. I find this incredibly frustrating because if you think about any action movie you've ever seen, 
what is like standard in the script writing is that at some point near the end of the film, the, the boss, the big bad guy, you think he's defeated, and then what happens? He pulls out a, a gun or a knife from somewhere. He wants to get one last shot at taking down the hero, and everyone in the film is shocked and surprised. Oh, a gun! He's got a gun! And they're all shocked, and everyone in the theater is kind of just like, all right, yeah, we're rolling our eyes. Why? Well, because we've seen this so many times before. We just, we know it's coming. And yet, my point is, given the number of times the people of Israel had seen Pharaoh give in like, uh, and say, okay, I'm agreeing to let you go and then change his mind before, it should have, there should have been at least some expectation like, hey, he might change his mind again. I wonder if that could happen. And then just prepared themselves in some way, emotionally, spiritually, anything. And yet, look at verse 10 of chapter 14. They see Pharaoh and his army showing up on the horizon to come and get them. And almost everyone responds with shock and horror. <gasps> He's got a gun. He's coming to get them. And they never once saw that coming. And I'm just like, no, you, what do you mean you feared greatly? Like you just never expected that to happen. First of all, that's, isn't that exact pattern you saw Pharaoh carrying out literally every other time he'd agreed to let you go before? Yes. And haven't you just seen God deliver you out of Pharaoh's hand despite his superior military power and all these things? Once again, yes. But rather than planning beforehand, like what would we do if that happened, or responding after it happens to this part of the story that they all knew could likely happen, instead, look at verse 11 and 12 of chapter 14. Instead, they go immediately into panic mode, Immediately start chucking God, Moses, anyone else they can think to blame, uh, off the ship, under the bus, pick your metaphor. They're just like immediately into panic mode. And so, I don't know, in some ways, I suppose the first lesson that we can draw from all of this, as I said earlier, is you got to know where you're at in the story in order to understand what's going on. Because people of Israel here, they, they clearly thought they were at the end of the story when they weren't there yet. So they didn't know where they were at in the story. But more than that, if you're walking into 2023 like it's the end of a story for a difficult 2022 yourself, I think what we can also draw from Israel's story here is the importance of looking backwards. If you really see yourself, I'm at the end of a difficult story, is to look backwards. And as you do that, to ask questions, to investigate what you find in that exploration. Ask yourself questions like, what was it that was challenging about 2022? What made it so hard? What were the patterns of trial and temptation I experienced that made that last year so challenging? Where were the places that I was tempted to doubt the goodness of God? To really like categorize and, and even maybe journal out, like write those things out. Like what was it that made this something that I want to escape from so difficult past? Because I think in asking those questions, and really pondering that what you now come into 2023 with is expectation as well as awareness of both your own blind spots, where am I most vulnerable to attack, as well as the schemes of your former slave master, the devil, where am I most likely to be attacked? So that, first of all, you're not at all surprised. You don't, you don't fear greatly when you hear the rumbling of his approach coming against you. And secondly, you remember the faithfulness of God. Remember the strength of him to rescue you and deliver you from those things so that you don't have to fear greatly with what you're facing now. 
1 Peter 4, Apostle Peter tells us, don't be surprised by the fiery trial you're facing as though something strange were happening to you. I think the problem for many of us is that just like the people of Israel in the passage, we, we are surprised by it still. We still are just shocked. Oh, he's got a gun. And we just haven't, and we're doing that. I think one of the reasons we're doing that is because we haven't stopped to look backwards. We haven't practiced what I would call a spiritual discipline of reflection. Because in doing that, in pausing to look back, asking those questions of the past, what I think we're doing is we're setting ourselves up far more greatly to be able to face whatever circumstances come against us in this year to come. Point is, this is what I was talking about earlier. I said you need to know where you're at in the story in order to be able to process whatever you're seeing presently in front of you. And if you see yourself at the end of a story, the place you need to look in order to be able to process this stuff in front of you is backwards. Remind yourself of the past. Remind yourself of what's come before you so that you're not surprised. You don't fear greatly. Okay, so that's if we see ourselves at the end of a story, escaping a difficult past. The next part of the story I want to look at together is the start of a story, the beginning. Maybe you see yourself now as 2023, brand new start. We're starting a new thing, but you're beginning in a place where you're facing what feels like an impossible future just like people of Israel here, which is, it's one of the main elements of this story, the whole Red Sea crossing as Israel, at the very least, they're beginning a new aspect of their story, no question, but one which is very much filled with fear, dread, terror, as they face an impassable body of water on one side of them, the Red Sea, and this unbeatable army charging against them on the other side. For them, it's an impossible future that they're facing. And yet, when you look closely at the origin of the circumstances that actually find them in that place, and it brings up all kinds of questions, as well as, I think, tells us a great deal about how it is we can understand the trying and terrifying circumstances we so often face in our own lives. Look at me at verse 1, chapter 14. We read there that the um, Lord says to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh will save the people of Israel. They're wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Which already raises questions, right? <laughs> because if I'm Moses, and this is a phone call, I'm going to be like, right, okay, yeah, just one more thing. Sorry, the reception's super bad here. Guys, guys, shut up. I'm on a call right now. Yeah, so it sounded like you just said you want us to backtrack so that the one guy we don't want coming after us is going to come after us. Probably didn't hear that right. Can you just repeat the directions again? That's, that's going to be me. But when you look now at verse 9, go down there, you see, no, no, that's exactly what God intended. Those were his exact directions as, as Pharaoh and the army catch up with Moses and the people of Israel in the exact place he told them to go. So literally, he sent them to the place where they're overtaken. And yet that brings up questions of its own, right? Because if God's already delivered his people from Pharaoh and the Egyptians, why put them in a place, in a scenario, where they need to be delivered from him again? I mean, that feels less like a loving God and more like a child playing with toy soldiers. Well, let's put them in another challenging scenario, see what this works out like. It feels awful and unfair. Well, God reveals, if you look at verse 4, right, he says the purpose in doing that is that he'll get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. 
and that the Egyptians will know that he's the Lord. But here's the thing. When you remember Israel's reaction, their, their response to seeing Pharaoh and his army marching after them, verse 11 and 12, how quickly they turn to doubt, how quickly they turn to betrayal the moment things aren't working out like they hoped or expected. I think what you see is that in rescuing his people yet again from the same enemy, God also wants his own people to know that he is the Lord at a far deeper level as well. That's why he's putting him in this situation. And, and that's a game changer. That is a game changer, particularly for those of you who are starting out 2023 with a lot of fear and dread as well. People who'd say, okay, no, I'd never experienced circumstances exactly like the people of Israel were here, but man, when I look ahead at this year and everything I'm facing, it feels a lot like that. It feels a lot like the terror and fear they must have felt. I don't know how I'm going to do this. To know that the seemingly impossible circumstances you feel like you're facing are neither random nor purposeless. These things are ordained by the hand of a loving God. That, that changes so much of the game. And the reason he ordains those things in our lives is for exactly the same reason that he ordained them for the people of Israel. His desire is to develop their spiritual maturity, to grow them in their faith and their trust in him. Because if you think about it, when, when we first come to know Jesus, when we're saved, we're saved as infants in Christ, right? Not fully formed, spiritually mature disciples. It's a process of spiritual growth and maturity that needs to take place. So God's simply being faithful to his promise to complete the good work that he began in us. That's why he's doing that. Well, great, they might say, okay, but why, why does he use such difficult circumstances to do that? Why would he use all these things that feel outside of my control, outside of my ability to handle in order to complete that work? And I think the reason for that, it's certainly been my own experience in my own life, is that it's, it's only really ultimately in the testing of faith, not in the absence of testing, that my faith is truly grown. That's the place where my faith most often is grown, when it's actually tested and tried. As Jesus' half-brother James says so simply at the beginning of his letter, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you experience trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Which, hear me, that's not for a moment to say that Gaining that perspective, um, having this faith-completing work accomplished in your life is easy. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's wonderful. No, it isn't. It's hard a lot of times. It's scary. It feels out of control. But remember, when you're at the beginning of the story, of any story, you know you don't have a lot of information yet. You know there's lots of stuff that's not going to be known for a while, so you need patience, right? You need trust in the author that what seems incomprehensible to you at the moment is going to be explained later in the story. And if faith is truly grown primarily through testing, it also means that one of the only ways you're going to be able to know if you can trust Jesus' call out onto the waves, that scary place, if I could just borrow an illustration from the life of Peter, the only way you're going to know that is if you step out of the boat while the waves are still raging. Well, it hasn't calmed the waters yet. We only know when we test the faith and trust to see that it truly can be relied on and grown in. The hope for all of this at the end of the day being that over time, your perspective and mine might shift from one of surprise in the face of trials, surprise in the face of things that feel overwhelming, like, God, how could you let this happen to me? 
shift in perspective to one of trust and expectation. Where you could say, God, I, I, don't, I don't understand why you've led me here. Help me to still trust that you've got a good purpose in this, that you're accomplishing. God, I feel terrified by what's going on. Help me to stand firm in my faith and watch for your deliverance. Once again, though, knowing where you're at in the story helps you know where to look, to be able to gain that perspective on whatever presently challenging circumstances you're facing. And what I'm suggesting here is remember, when you're at the beginning of the story, there's all kinds of stuff you don't know. There's lots of things you don't see and understand yet, which means it's okay. It's actually okay if whatever circumstances you're facing presently don't make sense, feel like they're impossible to face, whatever it is, you're just at the start of the story. There's lots more to come. Okay, we've looked at the end of a story, beginning of the story. The last thing I want to look at together with you in closing is the middle place. Being in the middle of the story, see yourself there. And I don't know if you remember what I said as we began this morning, but it's my belief that this place, the middle part, the middle part of the story, that's where every single one of us are. Again, yes, we have experiences of end and beginning, but the middle place, that's where every single one of us here today are, although almost no one either knows they are or regularly remembers that that's the place we're in. We forget this all the time. For the people of Israel, it was in forgetting or simply being unaware of that, although yes, they just escaped this difficult past. The wilderness, that wasn't their destination, right? The wilderness is not where they were headed. No, they were headed towards a promised land. That's where they were going. So this is only the middle of the story. For you and me today, it's forgetting or simply being unaware of the reality that despite the joys and challenges that we all experience in life, this life, this world is not our final destination. This isn't the final place that we are seeking where we're headed. This is part of the story between when you first heard about Jesus and when he either returns or calls you home. We're somewhere in between those two places. We're in the middle. And what I'm saying is, I think what you see in our passage today is that Moses seems to be the only one that gets that. He seems to be the only one who really sees that they're in the middle of the story. And the reason he knows that, that that's where they are, is because beginning with his call back in Exodus chapter 4, Moses knows his job isn't just to get the people out of Egypt, it's to bring them into the promised land. God's told him that that's the job. So he knows, okay, there's more to the story that's going on right now. But now, I'll come back one last time to what I said earlier. Knowing where you're at in the story, that helps you to be able to process and understand whatever you're presently facing, right? We got to know where we're at in the story. If you're at the end, I know I need to look backwards. If I'm at the beginning, then I know I got to be patient and rest in the fact that it's okay to not understand everything yet. But if you remember, I said, when you're in the middle of the story, you need to do some combination of both those things, which is exactly what I think you see Moses doing here in verse 13 and 14. Look with me there. As the Egyptians are pounding down on the people of Israel on one side, and the people of Israel are pounding down on Moses on the other side, as they think they're about to be destroyed here, look what Moses says in response to everything that's going on. He says to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians from whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And maybe you look at that and you say, well, you know, Moses, he's just a, he was a confident leader. Guy was just cool, under pressure. 
Uh, you know, that's, that, that's what we're seeing here. And yet, if you've read the earlier chapters of Exodus, again, you've got to know where you're at in the story. That's not at all the case. That's not Moses. He's not that guy, right? So instead, I think the reason Moses is able to respond the way that he does is because he understands they're only in the middle of a story. He knows God's taking them to another place. So he's like, we can stand firm in the midst of this because this is only the middle of the story, which means he's looking backwards. He's looking back at everything God had promised him, all the things that he had seen God accomplish in the past for them, these amazing testimonies of God's faithfulness, as well as he's looking back at the pattern which he'd seen Pharaoh. Every time he'd said they let them go, he'd gone back on that. So they probably wasn't all that surprised, right, when he saw Pharaoh coming over the horizon. And then, of course, God had told him, Pharaoh's going to come after you. So he's not surprised by those things because he knows the patterns of the past. And he's also patiently resting in the fact that there's more to come in this story. He knows there's more in the story because they're in the middle, which likely means what presently seems incomprehensible, what presently seems overwhelming, it's not the end of the story. These circumstances will make sense at one point. So knowing where they're at in the story, that's the thing that enables Moses to respond this way. That's how he can say, stand firm and watch. He knows where they're at in the story. When you think about your own life, you think about whatever you're currently facing, what you know you're going to be facing, and the things that are still unknown as we come into this new year. I wonder if having the same perspective as Moses does, seeing yourself as being in the middle of the story, can't have a, a, a world, make a world of difference for how you process as well as how you respond to those circumstances as well, whatever they are. It's not to say that there's not going to be um, beginnings or endings, sub-stories in the midst of that story. And then again, we need to know where to look in order to properly process, and we've done that. But do you see how remembering, as well as helping one another to remember, that we're ultimately still in the middle of the story, and that has tremendous power. Power to be able to face whatever circumstances come against you in 2023 with the same kind of faith and confidence and trust that Moses had. Not that you're not going to be afraid, not that there's not going to be fear and doubt in the midst of that. There will be. There will be for you. There will be for me. There definitely was for Moses. But that we can still face it with a confident trust that's going to continue to grow and build the more we do it. To remind yourself of both the faithfulness of God to you in the past to remind yourself of the patterns of attack that you faced in the past. Where have I seen attacks coming against me before? And to have a settled hope in remembering that there's still more to your story to come, which means it's okay if the present circumstances you're facing, they don't make sense yet. I don't know how the story works out yet. It's okay. I mean, in one sense, it's true. 2023, it's going to It's going to happen how it's going to happen regardless of how you choose to face it. It will. And yet I believe if we could, by God's grace, all seek to make just this one shift in our perspective. I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution. I'm just saying, like, make this one shift in our perspective to understand your place in the story. To remember that despite beginnings and endings, you're still in the middle. There's things that we know from the past, and there's things that we don't know still yet to come And we have a pattern of faithfulness 
to look back on and rely on? I wonder if that could make all the difference in the world to our experience of 2023, as well as to the growth in faith and maturity that God desires to bring about in each one of our lives as well. That we could actually sing a lot of that stuff we were saying this morning about how great God's faithfulness is, how God is so good, that we could actually say that no matter whatever we're facing because we have a history to look back on, which allows us to trust him in the unknown future we walk into. I believe that's true. God, help us to do it and help us to see our place in the story. Amen.